Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. What is the true value of data? Whether you've been collecting data for years or are just getting started, the reality is that data holds zero value on its own. In fact, it's a huge cost. In this episode of The Data Chief, industry veteran Bill Schmarzo, currently customer advocate for data management at Dell Technologies, shares why modern data leaders must let go of the notion of being data-driven and focus on business outcomes. He also discusses how having more data isn't always the right move, especially when considering larger business goals. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Bill, welcome to the Data Chief. Cindy, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here on this uh, on, on your fabulous show. I know. We're going to have a lot of fun because um, I was thinking about trying to remember where did we first meet, which I think it was TDWI, my first time teaching a long time ago, so probably 16 years ago, maybe longer and I was starstruck as the dean of big data was rushing to another class there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I, that's where we first got our, we, we, we sort of uh, cut our teeth on the teaching space at TDWI. Yeah, g- great times. Um, and I understand you recently moved. So where are you joining us from today? So I am located in Balmy, Des Moines, Iowa. Um, <laughs> we moved here probably about uh, nine months ago. Ah, balmy. Okay. Lay it on me. How cold is it? 12. Yikes. And that's without the wind chill. (laughs) That's without the wind chill. Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) it's very nasty. (laughs) Yeah. Now, no wonder, because you have been known for posting videos and motivational talks on social media as you jogged around the beautiful Bay Area. And now that I think about it, I'm not sure. I've seen a recent posting of that. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's hard to do that when you're wearing a parka, uh, a ski mask and goggles to talk in this thing. You look like uh, something from Mars or something. Yeah. Hey, Bill, this is what Pelotons and treadmills, why they were developed. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So, Bill, you've been around the industry for a long time, different roles, recently joining Dell. Tell us a little bit about your role there. Yeah. So it's it's an unusual role for me, Cindy, because for the first time, at least in a while, I'm on a product team. So at Dell, we're in the process of building out a data management product. And my role on the product team is to be the interface with customers. So I spend a lot of my time working with the customers, understanding their data management challenges, helping to prioritize what we're trying to work on, the timeline, um, setting up customers who are going to be early adopters for us or early testers. So still very customer focused, but a lot of what I'm doing is in service of the product organization instead of, you know, traditionally I used to be in the consulting side, for example. 
Yeah. So tell us about that consulting side for for those who maybe live under a rock and are not familiar with your work, um, some of the consulting work that you've done. Yeah. So a lot of what I do sitting in the consulting space, especially even lately, I still get involved with a lot of customers around probably the single hardest question that CDOs are facing today. And when I talk to CDO, I hear this all the time, which is, what is the value of my data? Or how do I get more value from my data? I consult with companies to help them identify and figure out how to get value from their data. I've got a methodology that I teach at the university. I've written some books on it. And so I find that even though I'm on the product side of the organization, a lot of organizations bring me in to help them wrestle with that problem. And I'm hopeful that that kind of conversation with customers is something that I can bring back so we bring build a product that's really targeted for helping customers get value from their data versus a product that's full of functions and features. Yeah. And Bill, that is why I wanted to bring you on the data chief, especially now with the economy being so volatile and fragile, there is a pressure for leaders. I, I think it's always been there but there's been a renewed focus on business outcomes. And what is difficult for some CDOs who maybe in particular have risen up through the IT and primarily data governance side of things, articulating the business value, not only of their data, but of of the decisions from that data is something that you have focused on. I mean, I I was showing... (laughs) Bill, my dog-eared book um, that we named as a must-read back in 2022, if I remember correctly now, The Economics of Data Analytics and Digital Transformation. So I have my post-it notes, dozens of articles, um, and maybe start with, is this, is there a greater, are you seeing this greater sense of urgency now, or has it always been there? Very, very good question, Cindy. I I think there is a greater sense of urgency. I do think the economy is having influence on that. And I think what's interesting about what's happened on the economy side is while we're seeing the purveyors of technology sort of resetting lots and lots of layoffs, we're seeing the companies that are, are that apply technology, the application of technology being driven to the forefront saying, I've been collecting all this data for for years, decades maybe. How do I get value from it? And it's we are seeing this transition, I think, and nowhere bigger than with the chief data officer who's trying to figure out, I sit on this wealth of data, this new economic asset. What am I doing to actually drive value? And you said the point really, a couple of key points, business outcomes, right? Data by itself has zero value. In fact, data is a cost, right? Yeah, agree. Data by itself if, is a cost. If you, yep. If you're storing it, if you're storing it and not leveraging it, uh, whether it's for personalization or optimization of supply chains, then it is just a cost. Exactly. So the, and the, the reason why I get so excited about the economic conversation, because economics is a value in application methodology, which is the the value of an economic asset is determined by how you use that asset to create more value, which is very different, by the way, than an accounting or financial asset. So getting back to your point about this sense of urgency, the CDOs have struggled because they've got data, 
They're realizing that the possession of data is not a value. Selling data is not the answer. They're realizing I need to be able to apply this, which means as you and I both know that you cannot determine the value of one's data in isolation of the business. And that's driving this natural collaboration, bonding between the business who want business outcomes and the CDO who knows how to use data and analytics to actually optimize those outcomes. Yeah. And so is this a skill that CDOs have to develop or is it something that they just have to collaborate better with the lines of business who will better understand the true value of some of the decisions they're making? So I think it's a skill the CDO has to develop because they have to play this this matchmaker in not only talking to the business to go through a process to identify, validate value, and prioritize the use cases that where data can drive measurable, relevant, meaningful value, but they got to be able to talk to the data and analytics team to help them figure out, well, what data elements do we need? What features are we going to need? What analytic techniques are we going to use? How do we create a analytic asset that can take that data and turn it into a repeatable, scalable, composable, reusable business asset? Yeah. So the the other aspect of this, I think, is the valuation. We know the costs. The costs are fixed or easily identifiable. But the value side, the numerator, is what's debatable. And in the peak of, let's say, um, the pandemic recession, even United Airlines, their customer data, there was one report that their the value of their customer data was worth twice the market cap of United Airlines. Just to take a, a global example, Highways England actually assessed their value and it was 50% of their total assets. So how much are you calling for that we really should be assessing the value of the data ownership or is it also that numerator here are the decisions that I've been able to make with it to get an ROI? So if you look at the most valuable companies in the world today, the Apples, the Googles, I guess Facebook is still there, uh, Microsoft and such, those companies have a wealth of data, but they don't make their value by selling data. They make right. value by how they apply it, right? They use that in an application. And what I think is very interesting, if you look at the balance sheets of those companies, over the past several years, their tangible assets in the company have grown almost linearly. It's the intangible assets that have grown almost exponentially. Yeah. These companies have figured out how to exploit data as an economic asset to create new sources of revenue. This game is being played right in front of us, and most people don't get it. They're, they understand that it, it's a data in application perspective that drives that. One of my favorite uh, questions I ask my students in my class is that on May of 2002, 2002, Google made the single most important hire in the history of Google, the company, Hal Varian. They hired a chief economist, and from an economics perspective, totally transformed how the company created value. Now, if you do a little bit of research, you'll now see that all these leading companies, they also now have chief economists because economists specialize in taking assets and creating value from them. That's what economists do. And they more holistically look at the 
at the KPIs and metrics around which you define value, right? A lot of financial measures get hung up on trying to optimize, you know, lagging indicators. Economics yeah. is about identifying those leading indicators. And yeah. right, we want to optimize leading indicators. And so this whole economic mindset, I think, is what's causing, I think this is where the CDO needs to go, is to start saying, wait a second, I've, I've got the skill sets on the technology and the data side. I just need to be more of an economist and think about how our organization creates value and what are the KPIs and metrics against which we measure that value creation effectiveness. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I go back to my early days in in the BI and analytics world at Dow and to actually fund our data warehouse initiative or any BI tool, we worked with the economic evaluator team to calculate payback period, ROI, everything. So it was foreign to me <laughs> when I moved into consulting that not everyone was doing this. No, that's right. And so, but what you described, Bill, I'm sure there are people listening saying, well, we're not all a meta, we're not all a Microsoft. And so I want to parse this a little bit. And you have an excellent case study, both as a white paper on your website that we will link to, as well as it's in your book. Um, If we take, for example, Chipotle, or if you want to take another, take us through a case study that would be relevant today on how we can apply these principles for a business outcome. I've been very fortunate, Cindy, that I've been involved across a lot of different industries. And every industry has a couple of things that are the same across all of them. Number one, they're all trying to create value, right? They all have business initiatives around which are trying to create value. The Chipotle example was around how do I increase um, same-store sales? You might be a hospital who's trying to reduce hospital-acquired infections. You might be a casino who's trying to optimize the use of comps, right? There's, all these companies, you might be a theme park who's trying to re- reduce unplanned operational downtime for your new attractions. Everybody has these business initiatives around which they create value. If we start the conversation by understanding how does your organization create value, what are the KPIs and metrics against which you're going to measure that value creation effectiveness? What do desired outcomes look like? Who are the stakeholders, internal and external, who are involved in that? What are the KPIs and metrics against which you're going to measure success? And what are their desired outcomes? Now, all of a sudden, you've created this, this value map that tells you where are the sources of value creation and what are the KPIs and metrics around which I'm going to try to optimize to create and optimize that value creation process. So whether it's Chipotle on same-store sales or a theme park trying to reduce unplanned downtime, the process works across almost any industry. See, the the problem, Cindy, is is that we spend too much time talking about becoming data-driven. Data-driven is not important. Value-driven is what's important. We should focus on value. I mean, you've You've probably been in the same situation like me where somebody come up to you and say, hey, I got this data set. Can you tell me what's valuable in it? And my first question back is, well, how do you define value? What's valuable yeah. to you? And if you yeah. don't understand how the organization defines and measures value creation, we're just guessing by throwing data against the wall and hope it sticks. Yes. Well, there is some of that. And and I'll come back to that. I I, I sometimes use the term top down or bottoms up. So top down would be value, what drives the business or the particular function. So I'm going to take just a general example that I think has caused a lot of 
pain in the last year, supply chain disruption. So I might sure. say optimizing inventory holding costs and making on-time in full shipments for a CPG company critical. Yes. If they are not optimizing the supply chain, they might lose revenues because the product is not available when it was agreed upon, or they might incur penalties in certain industries like healthcare if there's late shipments, or if they're in CPG, then they might switch from ground to air, which is more expensive just to make that commitment. But the argument would be, so those are the value drivers. Those are the KPIs. How do I measure data's contribution to performing this? So, so pick one of those KPIs, Bill, and sure. walk us through what you would do with a customer. Let's go at um, optimizing on-time delivery. Okay. Right? We're gonna, we we got to pick one, right? We're going to pick one at a time. And I would want to understand from all the different stakeholders, what are the decisions those stakeholders need to make with respect to optimizing on-time delivery? They're going to make decisions regarding reliability of supplier, quality of supplier. They're going to make decisions regarding, as you said, what routes do I use? What mechanisms do I use? You're going to make decisions regarding distribution centers you're going to use on the route. So there's a there's a series of decisions that the different stakeholders across the organization, whether it be finance, whether it be procurement, whether it be logistics, whether it be, you know, the manufacturing, they're all trying to make decisions around that same use case. What we're going to do is we're going to identify the decisions they're trying to make and the KPIs and metrics against which they're going to use to measure that decision effectiveness. So if if vendor reliability, for example, making sure I have vendors who are delivering full loads, right? And not doing recommits, right? They committed to do something and yeah. a, a recommits are a real problem in supply chain, right? So I want to make sure I've got a highly reliable supplier, right? And if I don't, right, I want to be able to find ones who are. So I need to make decisions, recommendations around what suppliers for what products, for what, et cetera. Another example in that space is some suppliers are very reliable to a certain level of quantity and they can't give you more. So you need to have a, a portfolio of suppliers that says, well, if my if my demand looks like this, I'm going to give this much to this supplier, this much here. So again, there's an optimization process. You're making decisions regarding how much do I give to that supplier, but it all comes back to these decisions across the different stakeholders. And I think what's interesting, Cindy, is that what you find is a lot of the different stakeholders are all trying to make the same decision. Now, they they may be using different KPIs and metrics around they're measuring their own effectiveness on it. But when you start focusing on use on the decisions, we know if we can make decisions more effectively, if we can improve vendor reliability and vendor quality and on-time delivery and full loads by you know 5%, 2%, 10%, all that translates down into real money. Yes, it absolutely translates into real money. So now that you have that data to show you which suppliers are more reliable, and you have backups if a particular facility is shut down or route is shut down, then you have that hard business benefit and you can calculate an ROI of delivering that data. However, some would argue, well, that's it's not only the data that enabled that, it's the processes that we implemented. So how do you adjust for that? Well, there's certainly, you know, the the ability to do analytics on it is critical. Having the data itself isn't important. So understanding the decision, the thing I like about decisions, there's four things I like about decisions. 
First off, every stakeholder I've ever talked to in my 40 plus years in this industry knows what decisions they're trying to make. They're already trying to make them. Number two, decisions are actionable. They're different than questions. By decisions, I know I'm going to take an action. Number three, improving decisions delivers value. Quantifiable, as you said. Yes. But the fourth one is, is that data science teams know how to optimize decisions. They know that you've got to have a process where you, where you leverage the, the subject matter experts to identify variables and metrics that might be better predictors of performance. That's the features conversation, right? But data science teams, they're great at optimizing decisions. If you tell them what decision you're trying to go after, the big brain data scientists, they figure out what, what analytic algorithms to use, how to, how to enrich the data, how to create new features to drive that. So there, there is a, a thoughtful process that happens where you've got this, this data science process collaborating with the subject matter experts to help you figure out, identify, and validate those features that around which you're going to build the ML models that are going to deliver analytic scores that we're going to use to make recommendations around our decisions. Yeah. And it, it doesn't even have to be the data science. I think actually the data science, if you've operationalized those models, that's a little more objective because you can take a baseline and say, here was our cost before we put in the scoring model. And here's our cost after we put in the scoring model. Yeah. And so that's easier. I think it's when people are using things like dashboards. I hesitate to use dashboards because at ThoughtSpot, we call them live boards. But when they're looking at things and investigating and saying, why did we have a stock out? Or why is this supplier who used to be good now suddenly not good? And maybe to your point, it had to do with, well, we exceeded their volumes. And so that's the type of value justification that I think CDOs have a harder time with. I'm trying to reframe the question, Cindy, because I think what the data science team does is it builds propensity models on each of the, in this example, each of the suppliers. And so it knows behavioral performance tendencies, predicted behavioral tendencies. And when you think about that as almost a digital twin, you can start putting in place models that start flagging, especially if you're using leading indicators that indicate when a supplier in this example, all of a sudden is starting to have problems. Like you'll see problems in maybe quality will start to dip. You may start seeing pressure they have from under financials, right? You may notice it so right. that you are building financial models. So I think that when the CDO acts as this linchpin between the business and the data science team, they're trying to make sure they understand the entities around which we're going to make recommendations and build analytic models around so they can make sure the data science team is guided to do that. So and getting back to our supply chain, we want to have very detailed insights on the predictive performance and behavioral tendencies of each of our suppliers. We want to have yeah. that on each of our supply routes, right? We want to have that on our distribution centers. So along the way, we can constantly look at ways to leverage advanced machine learning or even artificial intelligence to have these environments that are continuously monitoring and learning, in many cases, with minimal human intervention. So we're, they're constantly seeking to optimize that supply chain route, even as there's disruptions that are occurring but at suppliers on their routes or wherever. Yeah, yeah. So let me come back to this bottom up or top down. I think sometimes what happens is if there isn't this tight collaboration or the potential value is not certain, 
and unknown, then data teams will say, well, we have this data. We think it's useful. Shall we, shall we try it out? <laughs> shall we provide access to it? Um, and I think before data was such a boardroom conversation, that's where a number of initiatives have started. I don't buy that. And let me, let okay. me explain what I mean by that. Having data science teams who's, who are just playing with data without understanding what they're trying to achieve, they need to start their process by understanding what is it that creates value for the organization? What kind of outcomes are you trying to drive? No doubt I want to play with lots of different data sources. Those, those have become sort of the features that might feed my models. I would not want my data science team in their spare time just playing with data. No. Yeah. And I don't think this would necessarily be the data science team. I think this would be more the BI and analytics team doing general descriptive and diagnostic analytics. I could certainly see exploratory. We know that the that having subject matter experts asking questions many times leads us to potential uh, ML features. We know that there's a there's a direct correlation. We love to catch questions because the kinds of questions people ask give us indications as far as what are the variables or metrics that might be better predictors of performance. So there's certainly the ability especially for the people at the front line of the organization to really bond closely with them because they're the ones who really see and understand the things that are happening and many times can help articulate what they see as the variables and metrics that are key predictors of performance, whether it be supply chain and vendor performance and vendor reliability. So yeah. there's no doubt we want to empower the front lines. The exploration tools from a business analyst perspective, is probably another good way to figure out and try to identify, well, what are, the, what are the variables that tend to move together? That's, again, another very useful process, as long as we kind of have an idea of what outcome we're trying to drive for. So if I'm looking okay. at vendor performance, it might be useful, again, it would be useful for a business analyst to start playing with data and say, well, what are the things we're seeing around this particular vendor whose quality has started to drop? Are there things that we can see are we noticing it takes longer for them to reply to a request, to a quote? Is, are we seeing you know, pushback from their payables? Are there things that we're seeing just in, in observation that might be better predictors of performance? Yeah. So it's that tighter collaboration then enables the tighter collaboration between the business people and the expert data sci scientists. Yes. Yes. The other article that you, series of articles that you wrote, Bill, that I thought was great, it culminated in a recession playbook. So tell ah, yes. us the top use cases for a recession data related. Well, I, I think you've always got use cases around customer acquisition and cross-sell, upsell, um, customer retention. There's, there's a lot that can be done, I think, for most organizations around, you know, getting the most from your customers. I also think it's a real opportunity for, for aggressive companies to go and pick off their competitors' best customers. It's a good time to invest in analytics and outreach programs to take the time to understand which customers out there that are not our customers, but are somebody else's customers. How do I, how do I get them to switch over to my customers? So I, I definitely think that the customer acquisition and maturation analytics are always a way to drive that top line revenue that has a ripple effect to the bottom line. And in the recession, that looks very good. Cost reduction, of course, is always an important thing too. Though I, I hate the fact that we always, when we, when we want to reduce costs, 
What's the first thing we do? Well, we get rid of our most valuable assets. We get rid of our people. Well, you know, there are probably other things that we could do. Are you spending your marketing effectively, right? You've probably peanut buttered your marketing across the organization, but there's probably ways to optimize how you spend your marketing so that you're spending half as much and getting maybe the same results. We, we see that today with direct marketers who are really good at doing that. So yeah. to me, there's there, there are ways that we can use very granular analytics to drive precision decisions that help us to make certain that every dollar we're spending has a, you know, a $2, $5 return on it. And stop making these decisions based on averages, because when you make decisions based on averages, that best, you're going to get average results. And in a world where the recession is coming down, average is not good enough. Yeah. And I actually do think it's interesting across different sources, whether it's the survey that Tom Davenport and Randy Bean put out, they found 94% of companies plan to continue to increase their investments in data analytics and AI because it helps with these decisions. A CNBC executive council found the same thing. Are you seeing that in your customer consulting? I am, but let's come back to that that Randy Bean, Tom Davenport study. There was okay. an interesting char chart in there that I thought was stunning. And that is, over the past three years, the number of companies that are becoming data-driven has actually fallen by 10%. That the number of companies that are seeking to become data-driven has actually fallen. In a time where we think data is a the, you know, the new oil, so to speak, companies are giving up on, be, on trying to become data-driven. And rightfully so. It isn't about being data-driven. It's about being value-driven. And when we, when we come... This is probably a challenge for a CDO is that when we come to the business and talk about data, the business falls over and falls asleep. They don't care <laughs> about data, right? They don't care about the three Vs of big data. What they care about are the four Ms of big data. Make me more money. And I didn't need to go off on a riff on that because I thought that study was really interesting and eye-opening in the fact that we have to reframe. And this is where I think the, the chief data officer has, has the huge opportunity is to reframe the conversation we're having. And I am starting to see chief data officers who are doing that, who are starting to say, let's don't talk data. Let's don't talk technology. Let's don't talk chat GPT. Let's talk about how our organization creates value and making sure that my organization, my data organization, my analytics organization is laser focused on helping to make sure we're driving those use cases, optimizing those decisions, driving, as you said, very quantifiable business impact. Yeah, absolutely. So I love the four M's. We're going to have to tweet that <laughs> one out, Bill. But I, I think a lot of CDOs made the mistake of saying their data, here's my data strategy. And it was really a technology strategy. And I think of that as the how, the why is the value. And even we yes. had um, <laughs> we had the CDO from ServiceNow on the Data Chief podcast. And he told a brilliant story of how he had to learn that lesson in his first presentation mm -hmm. after he joined ServiceNow in presenting to the board. The CEO asked, what decisions are you going to help me optimize? That's really what he cared about. I love the fact that maybe this current economic situation is putting the CDO under the thumb and they've got to start thinking more about that transition. I mean, let's be honest, some of the early CDOs, they were basically CIO mini-me's 
right? Yes. They they were just CI, right? They they really didn't they understood data from a systems perspective, but they didn't understand data from an economics perspective. Now I'm talking to more and more CDOs who really have less of a technology background and almost more of an economics background saying about, okay, it's how I apply this to create value. So I think this recession or this threat of a recession or whatever we're in right now is a real huge opportunity for chief data officers to stand up and take a leadership role in the organization to sit at the table of the CEO and start talking about, here's how I can help each of these different business functions and business units to get more value out of their current data and their current operations. Yeah, yeah. I think it will be a, a good forcing function and some will rise to the occasion and some will not. Now, one of the mistakes that I see CDOs do, they have to modernize the tech and they try to boil the ocean. You have a very yes. excellent framework, similar to what I use, we use here at ThoughtSpot, on prioritizing use cases. And I see it behind you for those watching <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, talk us through that briefly. This prioritization matrix is by far the most powerful management tool that I've, I have ever used. And what it does, it measures on one axis value, which is great. It's a great conversation starter to get that whole, oh, how do you define value? How do you measure value? And then it measures feasibility imp implementation. And feasibility has a whole bunch of realms, right? Data quality, you know, you've management fortitude, budget, uh, the tech technology debt and such, right? So once you have this thing framed up, you have to go through a process we talked about to identify those use cases to start with, well, what is the organization trying to accomplish? We talked about, you know, supply chain optimization. What are the use cases? Well, reducing obsolete and excessive inventory, vendor quality, online delivery, right? So we have these use, these use cases come up. And then what's beautiful is you bring all the executives together, hopefully in the same room, because I think it's great. And you take these post-it notes for use cases and you have a debate. Uh, oh, yeah. An argument. <laughs> where, I was going to say, is it a debate or is it a fight? It's a fight. They yell and they, they don't they yell, but they get really agitated about, well, you know, my use case, you have it, you have A way up there. Well, actually, be honest with you, C is more valuable. And then you have a chance when they when they make the statement that C is more valuable, you can say, well, in what ways? How what ways is it more valuable? And this this conversation with executives allows you to further vet out the value components and how they measure value as well as have a, a conversation about, well, is that really feasible? Do you have the right skill sets? Do you have the right level of, of data quality and data granularity? And at the end of this thing, you end up with having these use cases up here and you say, okay, we're going to start with B, but once B is done, we're going to go with A. And then when A is done, we're going to rehuddle back up because we have F over here at the edge, right? Maybe F is going to march its way over here and become more viable as we start building out our data and analytics. So it's a great tool for making sure everybody has a voice, their voice is heard, and get alignment across the organization so everybody can see that, well, maybe my use case isn't the first one, but I can see how A, B, and C is going to make D more effective. And I know why you're doing this. So yeah, it's a, this is a great tool. Yeah, I love it. And I often think about, so our x-axis or bottom part of the line is how ready is the data or data complexity and quality is included in that. But you added something that I, I don't think I've thought of this before, management fortitude. That's huge. 
you and I both know that these projects don't fail because the technology fails. They fail because in most cases, passive aggressive behavior. Somebody in the organization, their voice didn't get heard. They didn't have a chance to express themselves. So they don't buy in and they drag their feet. They withhold information. They withhold data. They, they go outside and, and do shadow IT spend. And so this is a process for making sure that we have the organization lined up in the right kind of fortitude. And we're going to measure fortitude, right? We're going to measure culture to a certain extent. Do they have a culture of collaboration? Because if they can't collaborate, if they can't share data, then all the economic value of data doesn't get realized. Right? We, don't, we don't exploit that unique data economic multiplier effect. So whenever we do these workshops, I always insist that I'm the person who stands next to the chart and drives the conversations with the customers. It helps that I'm really tall and big so people listen to me and I can see <laughs> over the group. But it, it gives me the license to challenge people. The challenge say, tell me why that you think that's more valuable. Tell me why you think that's more feasible, right? Give me details because I'm, I'm an outsider and I can ask that question. Because I like to say to them, I say, I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make you successful. So I'm going to yeah. ask the hard questions. You may not like it, but you got to hear them and you got to answer them. Yeah, this is where our roles are similar. And I will tell you, I sometimes feel depleted after these when I see that passive aggressive behavior, because then not everyone's on the same page. Culture is everything. Yeah. Companies really struggle with this. And I had somebody tell me recently, they said, you know, Schmarzo, stop thinking about changing culture. Think about how you can shape it. How can you take the culture you have today and how can you create a culture of collaboration and empowerment? You know from my writing, I'm a huge believer in design thinking. Not only does design thinking help me to understand the sources of, of value creation from a customer or stakeholder perspective, but there are a lot of techniques in design thinking that are really about how do I empower everybody in the organization to have a voice? Because you never know who might have that idea, that the breakthrough idea. And if I don't empower everybody, if I don't consider that all ideas are worthy of consideration, I may miss that golden nugget that actually turns something from a, you know, a 1% improvement to a 10% improvement. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's maybe in spite of the culture, how do you still get something done that is high enough value in a fast enough time? Because I think the other reason why projects fail is they took too long. And so people yes. lose that faith or that fortitude to keep transforming and innovating. Perfect point. The feasibility chart, by the way, is 12 months or less. We're going to pick use cases we can deliver in 12 months because you're spot on. If it's going to take two years, get out the door. But we yeah. don't need to target. We, we can find the low-hanging fruit use cases. And while we're doing the low-hanging fruit use cases, the ones that have the big impact that are longer term, we can start moving them across because we're through the virtue of attacking these first use cases, we're building out the data assets, the analytic assets, and starting to starting to shape that culture. Yeah, yeah. So, Bill, I think you've really provided some practical advice for listeners on how to think about data differently, value-driven, with some prioritization, with some collaboration. I want to shift a little bit and then maybe go to a lightning round. But given how long... You've been in this industry. If you think back in time, what is an innovation or trend 
that has most excited you? Nanoeconomics. It was something that that occurred to me when I was at Yahoo, which was I got 17 years ago or so. I was the vice president of advertiser analytics. Um, our challenge at Yahoo was when somebody came to our site, we had 500 million visitors a day coming to our site and the sites we managed is how do I know what ad to show that person? And yeah. how do I know the level of interest they have in that? So, cause sometimes I have to bid for that, that, that visit. And so, you know, we knew every site you'd gone to, we knew every ad you clicked on, every ad you didn't click on, every keyword you searched, we knew everything about you. And from that, we could create a really good idea of what your intent was. What are you most interested in? And I could build that intent score across all 500 million of our visitors. I knew what you're interested in. I knew what your level of interest was. So when you came to a site, I knew how valuable is it? If you're interested in cars or vacations, your value is really high. Interested in coffee? Value is not so high, right? I knew what you're interested in. I knew your value was. So I knew what to bid and what ad to show you. So it was that granular level, that individualized predicted behavioral performance propensity. And it wasn't only probably until five or six years ago that it occurred to me that it, it isn't macroeconomics. It isn't microeconomics. It's actually nanoeconomics. It's the economics of individualized predicted behavioral and performance propensities. To me, that was the aha moment. Maybe I coined the term nanoeconomics. I'm going to claim it for now. I know. But it's, <laughs> it's, this, it's this idea that I can make very granular decisions on each individual. I should be able to figure out, for example, and the book that you're reading, of course, in the preface, I talk about the motivation for my book was the frustration I had with how we were treating COVID. We were making all these COVID policy oh, decisions based yeah. on averages when if you wanted to find out, we could easily have built a, an, a score that measured everybody in the country's likelihood to die from COVID if you caught it. it was, I had a class at Menlo, undergrad class, who took a spreadsheet, talked to some nurses, and we mocked up what that would look like. That's what I wanted us to do as a country, as a data and analytics industry. And the only country that came close because they had the data was the UK. And they didn't share yes. it. I will send you after this. They have a risk model based on your different attributes of are you high risk or low risk. And yet I think the general public didn't understand it. And so yeah. we never acted on that. And I would call this the tyranny of averages. And I will consider this the biggest failure that. of the data and analytics industry. The tyranny of averages. I love that term. Uh, well, it's I exactly right. That, I, <laughs> credit to our CEO. He uses that term. Right. But yeah. Yeah, because if you make decisions based on averages, at best, you're going to get average results. Yeah. There's an economics behind the nanoeconomics, right? There's the idea that we can actually transform our economic value curve by making these precision decisions. We can actually change our economic value curve and make it much more effective, improve the quality of care by spending less money. Oh, you got me wound up on a big one here. Cindy. I know. Same, same. We're probably going to have to edit some of this out or we need another, <laughs> we need a roundtable debate on this. This will be like, yeah, what went right and what went wrong. But what about an innovation that you would undo or that you think, no, we shouldn't go there? Oh, boy. When I was at Business Objects, I was the vice president of analytic applications. And I'll be really honest with you. There was nothing analytical about those applications. There were reports and dashboards. They weren't predictive. And again, it was when I was hired 
by Yahoo out of business out of business objects. They actually came to my TDWI class, the, the Yahoo folks. They sat in the back of my class. And when my class was over, I was really surprised to have Yahoo people in my class because, I mean, they, they didn't come to my yeah, class. Yeah, they're leading edge, that, right? <laughs> you're right. So I came up to them and said, hey, did you, did you get value out of the class? Well, they said, we found it interesting. I said, well, what did you want to learn? Well, we said, we weren't here to learn anything. We're here to evaluate you. We want to hire you to solve this problem. And the problem they had at Yahoo was an advertiser to give them money to spend on advertising campaigns. And when we couldn't spend it, we had to give that money back. That was a $500 million a year problem. So they hired me to solve that problem. And what was interesting here is I, this, this sounds really, hope this doesn't come across wrong, but I had to unlearn a lot of what I had learned in the BI space. Pre-built schemas is not how we, we did things, right? We developed Hadoop and it changed how I thought. And the real aha moment for me was in BI, I found I spent a lot of time trying to build reports to answer questions. At Yahoo, I found I was building analytics to optimize decisions. What ads to what audience? What time of day? What segments? What's right? It was, it was, there was a whole series of epiphany moments for me where I realized that things that I had learned were wrong. And unlearning's hard. It took me a long time to get over that. But that was one of those things where I realized that if I'm not willing to challenge what I believe in, that I may not be able to sustain the kind of growth that I'm looking for. That was a painful moment for me, Cindy, where I realized that all the stuff I've been doing at Business Objects and TWI for so long was not the right way to think about it from a, a data science and advanced analytics perspective. Well, thank you for sharing that, Bill. I, to me, the more important takeaway is that we all have to keep learning and unlearn some things but I would also say maybe don't be so hard on yourself because state of the art, that's what it was at a point in time. At Yahoo, maybe your resources were unconstrained. The early days of business objects, we were talking about limited compute, on-premises data warehouses. So you did yeah. have to define models, uh, data models in a certain way. Yeah, that's very true. So, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, getting our data warehouses to work on an Oracle relational database system was like making a dog walk on its hind legs, right? It was like, wow, you can even do this? <laughs> there you go. So, Bill, <laughs> let's do a hard shift. Uh, favorite activity okay. when you are not working with data? So, you know, I like to write as my favorite activity, but I think outside of that, I love to go hiking. Okay. Any special place you go hiking? No, I just like the, I like places where it's quiet. And I can just be with myself. I can hear myself think. Uh, I bring a notebook and stick it in my back pocket. I always find I'm stopping and taking notes. Just a chance for me to sort of clear out the cobwebs and take a bigger view of what's going on in my life. Nice. All right. Fill in the blank. Data is? An economic asset. Chat GPT is? Changing how students learn. Let me explain. Chat GPT is teaching our students that the world will reward those people who know how to apply knowledge, not those who know how to memorize and regurgitate it. Very good. And I like to end with one final one. You can choose either what are you most grateful for in the moment right now, or something that has totally made you laugh out loud recently. I'm grateful because I have a job 
and a career that allows me to to not only continuously learn, but also to chase chase my passion. Cindy, I've been blessed. I My life is full of Forrest Gump moments, right place, right time, not because I'm tall or good looking or from Iowa. Sometimes in life, you just get lucky. And I've always been fortunate when those opportunities have shown up, I've taken them. I've taken the step. They've not always paid off. I've, I've failed many times. I have a blessed life, Cindy, very blessed. Bill, I feel the same, but I will also say you have made me totally laugh out loud with that image of a dog on its hind legs <laughs> walking backwards. I don't know. I'm going to try that with Doc later. Bill, thank you so much for being on the Data Chief. Cindy, thank you very much for having me. This was a great conversation. I really appreciated it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.